Welcome to the Coaches Platform Podcast, where we discuss transformational coaching and its mission to positively change the arc of young people's lives. Tonight's pod is part two of our discussion with Coach Lee Weber from Rose Hill High School in Rose Hill, Kansas, where he is the head football coach, track and field, and a certified strength and speed coach. In this portion of the pod, Coach Weber talks to us about the importance of relationship building in every aspect of his program. I Again, his intentionality is what sets him apart um, from a lot of coaches and his intentionality in our relationship just kind of proves that, right? He We coached a minor league arena football team in the middle of Kansas in 2009 together. And we're still friends to this day. And it's all because his intentionality in the friendship um, and his attention to it that has kept us going. So I think these this attention is what makes him a success in coaching. Let's kick it off. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, as we're talking here, I'm thinking about motivating the kids and things like that. Can we talk about the fallacy of like the halftime speech or the pregame speech? Like that's something that really has hit on me. This whole, like I was a master. I wrote some doozies and I've got copies of them. Hey, we had a, we had a great uh, pregame speech this year at Cornell where just this naked old Asian dude walked right through the middle of it because we were in a shared locker room and uh, <laughs> like <laughs> our uh, offensive coordinator, coordinator was trying to, to bring it home to inspire the guys. And this dude was just like hanging out naked, like in the middle of our huddle, trying to get to the shower. I was like, yeah, this, these speeches don't matter. No, they, they don't, they, they are only good for about a minute or two, right? Like I, you know, I, and I still have given plenty of those speeches, even this last year in our biggest game of the year, you know, and, and you've got to read your team, I think. One of my greatest ones, it, this involves your former boss, Joseph. One of my <laughs> greatest ones at Mission Valley. I, I, we were playing Rossville. Rossville, big rival, has now won three or four state titles in a row. Um, at the time, they had not. Um, but they were really good, and there was a, it was a complete battle. And I had had a pretty good, successful season the team had at Mission Valley going into this district game. And our kids are out warming up and you can tell when kids are tight, right? They're just like overstimulated, like they're tight. Like everybody think that's locked in. Like they're just, you know, like that. You're like, dude, you should not be that hyped up before the game. I know that people want you to be like, that is a total waste of energy, right? Like our warmups are so much different now. Like we try not to waste energy and, and fake hype and all those things. Like it's just not, not worth it. You know, there's, there's one, you want to win the warmup, but you don't want to, you know, overwind the warm up. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. there's, there's a, but so the pregame speech, I gawk in and our kids are just wound so tight. And I look at my assistants, I'm like, Jesus, does anybody have a joke? Like, these kids are wound so tight. They are puckered up so much that we are going to go out there and lay an egg. Like, we've got to be loose. And none of my assistants had a joke. Like, I've got to put that on the, the job description. Like, you've got to have a joke ready in the chamber, ready to pull. And a good one, not a stupid one. And so I go in with the best material I've got because I'm a big dude. And I was like, hey, you know, guys, I was, I was walking around, 
uh, Lawrence said, uh, you know, I, I saw this shirt and I think it's apropos for tonight that some of our fans would wear this. And they're like, what is it, coach? And I go, I said, it'd be a giant picture of myself like Mark Mancina that says, our coach can eat your coach. <laughs> and they just started rolling. They started laughing. And it was so hilarious. And uh, you know what? We went out and the first drive, the first play, boom, 70-yard touchdown. And we held on till halftime. We were not as good a team, but we held on to be ahead at halftime. We ended up losing 28 to seven, so not great memory for me. But I'll remember the first two. Like, and it wasn't like the blood and guts, like I thought about it for two weeks speech. And the same thing worked this year. Our biggest game, our kids were tight. I walked in and I, I recited some rap lyrics, and I'm not great at that, but I spend all my time in a weight room, so I've got to listen to it all the way. And I had like some funny, it came my, it came my thing, like funny rap lyrics to tell the kids, like clean, you know, had some point to it, you know, like zero to a hundred, those kind of things. Like, but I, I used something more funny and I just, you know, I displayed a level of confidence that you see that isn't false. Think of a confident person. A confident person does not have to banty around like a rooster. A confident person is the cat, right? I'm a big feed the cats person. Like, I don't, uh, you know, scared dog barks the loudest, those, all those old cliches, like, you know, a confident lion does not have to roar, right? It just hunts its prey and kills it. And that's, that's the, and that I've decided that that mindset is more important to the kids. That button, I guess, you know, that's one of those things. So, you know, the, the false rah-rah, you know, I, I guess I was uh, trying to type it in there. No, 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 it's, it's 100%. You know, I, I I can think back to like 2011 or 2010. I was a, I was a head, high school head coach and, and our uh, motto was the quiet storm, right? And that wasn't something I came up with prior to the preseason or prior to the season. It was middle of the preseason and I, I got a sense of who these kids were, right? And it was, we don't have to, roar we're just gonna go about our business and we're gonna go do what we do and and uh we'll get the job done and and that's that's it and 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 i think it comes back to what you said early on which was you got to learn everybody right you learn each individual kid then you learn each individual position group and and as a result you learn your your team um so after roar but you know like you know, I don't know if the leader has to roar. Maybe some of your, you know, some of your other guys have to roar every once in a while. You can't lose the roar. You got to have it. But I think it got overused. Probably, you know, like, I was just thinking about this today. Like, so many of us have so many bad habits from the guys before us. But they didn't know any better. But we, we didn't know any better because they didn't know any better. Like, we've treated football specifically. Like, football really... You know, the, the football coaches that we know and have matriculated from, you know, the high school football coaches were vets coming back from the military, right? And so the best people they ever saw in shape were guys from the military. So how did we all train, right? We all trained, you know, military style. Lots of running, lots of push-ups, those things. And how did we motivate people in the military? Well, drill sergeants, we had to get people ready for the – the rigors and the stress of war 
without actually putting them in harm's way. So we verbally assault them, whatever those things, you know, so that militaristic attitude should then spilled over to football. We have to start thinking football is a war and it's not a war. It's a game like any other, right? And, but the training aspect, so we've, we've kind of gotten over that football has to be a war and it has to be this, you know, there are people that don't believe it has to be this big macho thing, but there's a lot of them that still do. Um, you know, that believe it has to be this big macho thing. It doesn't have to be that, but it doesn't also have to be trained like that. And the mental side of it doesn't have to be like that. Like we don't have to just completely tear down people to motivate them. And you see still so much of that, you know, like there's so many of those memes out there with the person like, I want somebody to coach my kid this tough with a coach like nose to nose and the kid, you know, like, is there a person that really enjoyed that as a player? Like, honestly, truthfully, being true to yourself, did you really enjoy somebody spitting in your face, nose to nose, intimidating you to coach you rather than caring about you? Because I had a coach like that. And I love him. But I didn't like that. I had a coach. I was lucky enough. My offensive line coach in college was not that dude. He loved us. He said one curse word the entire time I ever played for him. And it was for major emphasis. And he warned us it was coming. He's like, I don't give a flying. And you know I'm pissed off when I say. And he said the F-bomb. And I'm like, who, who, who predicates their curse words like that? But he'd never cursed before. But you were just worried about disappointing the man. And I would to this day, if he said, Lee, I need you. I'm good for whatever you need me for, coach at right guard. I won't know how long I'll last, but I'll go. You call me up, Bob Larson, I'm at your door. Like, I'm good. I'm go. And there's 150 other dudes out there that would do the same thing for him. And on the flip side, I watched some other dudes who screamed, berated, nose-to-nose guy with other guys. And I don't know how many guys are going to go back and volunteer to be coached by that person again. You know? And I, you know, I, we did we did best with what we knew at the time. But God, we, I think we got to get over it, right? Like, it doesn't have to be that way. And nobody enjoyed that. Like, I, we got to quit defending it. Some people, I don't know if you guys agree, but. No, Andy and I talk about that all the time. We we talk about the fact that, like, we when we got into coaching as young young kids, that we, we coached the way we were coached because that's all we knew. And, you know, I think the, the good ones now evolve, right? And, and everybody says kids are soft now or kids, you can't coach kids because they're, you, you know what it is? Kids... I, they're not soft, but it's becoming accepted to have feelings in society. So now kids have feelings and you, you got to coach them where they're at, right? Like, so the, the false bravado, the screaming, the yelling, the, the degradation, that, that's just not going to fly now. Not because it was the thing to do back then because it worked. It was... It was a thing to do back then because that's all anybody knew. You're right when you say that. Now, it doesn't work now, and not because um, kids are soft, but because we've learned that that's not how you treat people. And that's what we're coaching, right? We're coaching people. We're not coaching positions. We're not coaching uh, units. We're not coaching teams. We're coaching people, and you got to treat them like people. Oh, absolutely. You know, some of the hard, hardest screw guys, you know, there's the – the, the phrase in, in Shawshank, the hardest screw to ever walk in line at Shawshank prison, you know, like the, that's the person I think of, like these coaches that are the like, 
what what is the guy's name? Hop? It's not Hobbs. Hobbs is somebody else in that movie. But you know, it, I think of those guys and a couple of the guys that I know like that. I thought, well, these guys are just jerks to their kids and push them. And then I talked to the, the it's Roger Barda and his son Brooks is who I'm talking about. And they just have an unbelievable streak, both of them, of state championships and wins. Roger is the winning. He had a book. He was on ESPN. He had a book written about him called Our Boys. Um, you know, but I was talking to him one time about how they got such big offensive line. How do you get such big dudes in this little town? And he goes, well, we, we take these, uh, you know, we get them out as freshmen, big, gigantic kids. And he goes, you know what we do? He goes, we baby the crap out of them. He goes, if they're feeling a little sick, we put them under the tree. We give them a little Gatorade. We tell them it's all right. And he goes, and they stick with it. And the next year they stick with it. And he goes, by the time they're a senior, they're a 300 pound damn road grader and nobody's <laughs> stopping them. He goes, and we didn't run them off. And I was like, holy shit. The dude who exudes masculinity and grinding the hell out of people with a wishbone offense is soft with some little fat freshman linemen. And that's his secret. And it changed my whole life. I was like, if he can do that, like I always kind of wanted to do that. Like, you know, but my conventional wisdom that told me junction boys and all that crap, like I gotta find it soft people, you gotta weed those out. No, you don't weed them out. You just hang on to them and eventually they'll evolve. Like, and one thing I've always thought in my high school career, people worry about this kid not going out or this kid quitting or this kid moving away. And I'm like, high school kids adapt. We'll find somebody, somebody, hopefully that is true for us this year. We need a tailback. So something will happen and we'll be okay. And it, it always works out like that. But that's what this one is. You know, that, that soft kid, it'll work out for him. You know? And maybe that's, you miss on a couple, but you don't miss on all. Meet, meet them where they're at, man. Treat them like people. And I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't like more of what you said there, but like you're talking about your college coach, Bob Larson. Did I get it? Bob Larson? Yeah, Bob Larson. Bob Larson. You said he loved us, right? And, and that word is is so loaded in our society, but right, we're, we're talking about like, he might not like you today or you might not like him, but you love each other, you care about each other and, and you know you have each other's best interests at heart. That was the thing about Bob though. He was such a master. And the problem is he got kind of run out as a head coach, like nobody will know the master. There wasn't a day I didn't like him, <laughs> you know? That's the thing. Like I love the man every day. He was never, like, I never felt bad. Like, I never had, like, a bad day. And the guys who played with me, like, he would never belittle you. You know, he he chewed one guy's butt in film, but that guy deserved it. Like, the, when he kind of dropped the upper bomb, that guy deserved that because he was being a lazy, loaded piece of crap that day. And he even knew that and would admit it himself. But you never had a day where you're like, ah, you know, I don't like Coach Larson today. Yeah, he was unconditional, and it is rare. And, you know, that that's the thing. Like, so, it was so rare. So now, I mean, you use that word transactional, right? So so clearly, Coach Larson was transformational, right? He's, he's, he's transforming you as a, as a player. He's transforming you as a man. He's transforming the unit as a unit. Uh, that's pretty special. Yeah, and he's trans he's transformed thousands of lives because he got me, and I've coached three or four hundred different kids, and he's got four, four other five others. You know, it, twenty years later, he is still impacting my life. 
And, you know, I have more examples of guys, but he's the most prominent example. Like he is the person I, I want to be like, he's beyond my dad is my role model. And uh, every day that I try, I, I will never live up to what he was, but every day that I try, I feel like I'm better for it. And I mean, he was the eat, leaders eat last guy before that was a thing, <laughs> right? Like, where's Coach Larson? Like he hasn't ate yet. He's back there behind their team meal at a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant in Dallas. He's serving the food to help those people out. Like he's back there, like he would do that all the time. Like we'd be 70 guys in line. Like Coach Larson was in charge of the meals. All of a sudden he's back there slapping meat on tortillas. Like, here you go, fellas. Like he's helping the restaurant owner out. And then, you know, you'd never see him eat because he would always eat last or wouldn't even eat at all. And so, you know, that that's that when I read Leaders Eat Last, I'm like, Bob Larson was a Leaders Eat Last person. And I'm a Leaders Eat Last person too, except at faculty breakfast, because if you don't get in quick, you're not going to Oh, man. Uh, yeah. As a, uh, an educator, I know where you're coming from. Whoa. Yeah. Free yeah. food and not, not element uh, education professionals, yeah. not a good mix. So, all right, let's, 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 uh, for, for the younger coaches or for the less experienced coaches or for the coaches that are right here where we are. Uh, what are some strategies that you would give us on our way out? So so tomorrow or next week or next month, right? Because who knows when we're going to get back out there. What are what, what can you what can you give us to take with us out there? Sure. Let me, let me share with you. Uh, you know, I have if, if people go to my Twitter, this is a plug, shameless plug for my Twitter um, page. It's uh at Coach Law 71. And so my uh, home or my pinned tweet, if I can get it pulled up here so I can read it to you exactly, is I've collected seven key statements for coaches over the past 20 years. These are seven things that mostly I want to remind myself all the time of. And then they're always on my practice plan, right? And so my first one is if you aren't coaching it, you're letting it happen. You know, it's a simple example of a stance. Like if a kid is in a poor stance and we take a look at that stance, either I've coached him to be in that stance or I'm letting that stance happen. You know, if my kid has poor character on the field, I'm either coaching him to have poor character or I'm letting that happen. I'm letting the, it's the same with teaching. I'm either teaching it or I'm letting it happen. You know, when a kid's, this is my biggest thing. When every kid in an education, this is, I think, flaw with education, every kid fails a test, I think a teacher should own that as much as the kids should own that, right? Because if I'm not teaching it, this is that great book about John Wooden, I haven't taught until they've learned. It's the same here. I haven't coached until they've done it. And if I'm not, if I'm not coaching, I'm letting it happen. Um, my second one is what you tolerate, you encourage. So what I put up with the boundaries I said, if I don't have hard boundaries, if I tolerate something, I'm encouraging it. That can work good and bad. Um, you know, how you do, I said this earlier, how you do anything is how you do everything. I think that is an excellent statement for everybody. I mean, when somebody does something that um, they shouldn't do, make a mistake. My son always says this. The other day he said, he's driving a fire truck in a police car, right? And he's like, oh, it's Marshall and and whatever, it's the Paw Patrol. I always said I wouldn't watch Paw Patrol, but now I get to watch it every day. He's like, there's fire, you know, get to the fire. And then he's like, oh, somebody made a mistake. And my wife was like, what? Well, that's what he thinks police officers do when somebody makes a mistake. You know, he thinks the police come and get him. We had to explain that to him. 
you know, but it's when it's somebody makes a mistake, you know, I think the valuable lesson is how you do anything is how you do everything. So when I'm sloppy with something, you know, that example of, hey, when I don't turn in my work on time, you know, all of a sudden that reflects on me being on time for anything else. And if I'm going to be on time for work, then I should be on, on deadline with something. You know, it's, it's one of those things. How I do everything reflects how I do anything. It's, it's like the, you guys read the Make, the Make Your Bed Every Morning book mm-hmm. um, by the Admiral. Um, yeah, I can't remember Admiral's name, but he used to be the commander of the SEALs on the West Coast. Uh, it's one of those things. The way you, if you're, you're a person that makes your bed every day, you've accomplished something every day, right? And so that gets your day off to a good start. And it shows the order and discipline that you should live the rest of your life with. And that's the same thing here. If I'm, I'm somebody who makes my, and I don't make my bed every day. Sorry, that's not me. So I do what I say and I do. One of those things. But, you know, it's it's how you do anything. It's how you do everything. It's, it's just a great response when kids make a mistake. I think this one's good to understand, kids. Every behavior is a response to an action. If you have a toddler during quarantine, you understand this completely because that's been my life. Like, my kid has had some really weird, odd behaviors and and kind of regressions. And it's a response to something else. Like we figured out when he acts out and he pushes his baby sisters because I'm not giving him any attention or the attention that he wants, you know? And And that just extrapolates until you become a teenager or somebody that we coach is they're still, that that doesn't go away. Their behavior, what they're doing is a response to something else. You know, it's like the uh, the John Harbaugh, Ed Reed story. You know, when Ed Reed comes into the comes into the facility, he's got his hood up. John Harbaugh goes, "Okay, Ed and I are not going to talk today, but I'm still going to love him." Like he understands something happened with Ed that day, and his response or his behavior that day is not reflective of how he feels about John and the coaching staff or his other teammates. It's something else is going on, and that's his. That's why he has the behavior. You know, because you've all, we've all made that mistake, right? We jumped on some kid like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you here today? You know, what's he, what, you gotta be focused up, right? And it's yeah. because they they broke up with their girlfriend or their, their parent has cancer and they don't wanna tell anybody. And we, you know, that's where I feel like the most jerk of all time is when I've made stupid mistakes like that and not realize, hey, their behavior right now is a response to something totally different than, and, and probably bigger than, this little thing that I think it is, right? And so that's a key, I think a key to understand kids. And another one is just practical. Um, you know, no laps, no lines, no lectures, have a good plan. You know, planning, discipline, those things are good. Um, I would say ABC, always be coaching. And my seventh one, seventh one I added from the Essentialism book, and I think it's good. And uh, if the answer isn't hell yes, it should be no. You know? Like, when you guys asked me to do this podcast, I was like, hell yes. Okay. Yeah. Was, I like, yeah. I like that last one a lot because um, I'll take it out of uh, an example from uh, another person I was just talking to is uh, they're a buck stops here person, right? But they've got people under them that have to tell people no. But instead of those people telling the people below them no, they're always like, I'll, I'll see what this person says, right? So they never have to be the bad guy, uh-huh. right? And that's just a terrible way to be a leader, right? Like always look, kicking the can down the road, right? Like, so if you know the answer is not gonna be yes, no matter who you ask, just tell them no, right? Because that builds that, that, that builds buy-in with each other, right? That builds trust. 
it builds, it makes somebody want to come to you for an answer instead of being like, well, they're just going to ask somebody else and then we'll figure it out. So why would I continue to come to you if I just, if I know I'm just going to have to go to that other person? Um, and I know that's not exactly how you meant it, right? You're like, you mean yeah, it in the wife, Yeah. yeah but but, it, on, on your same line, and I'm reading Think Like a Freak right now. I'm an avid reader. I consume books. But one of the things they say is, if you don't know, say you don't know. If you don't that know, was huge. that was huge for us in Miami, right? Like, <clears throat> um, that's one of the things I talked to Coach Shannon about when I first got there. I was like, man, your defense is hard. It's a complicated defense, and I, I haven't absorbed it all in the six hours I've been here, and now we're heading out to meetings, right? Like, what do you want me to tell kids? He's like, tell them you don't know. He's like, but tell them you'll get them the answer. And I was like, I can do that, right? Because I came from Kansas where, like, we knew, right? You never you never admitted the, the way that structure was, right? You never admitted to a kid you didn't know what was going on, right? You always had the answer. You were always – what's that? That's weakness, when yeah, I don't exactly. know something, weakness, right? Exactly. That's so I got, I got permission to not know something. And it wasn't like I got permission to be lazy or not learn. I, I got permission to like not have the answer yet. And that was hugely transformative for me as a coach to be like, hey, son, I got no idea either. But I'll tell you what, we're going to find out and we're going to do it right. We're not just going to uh, uh, fake it till we make it. We're going to like be like, let's stop. Let's do it the right way because we only got time to do it once, right? We ain't got time to do it wrong and do it twice. We got time to do it right and do it once. So that was huge for me. And I think that's kind of the deal in the, oh, same, yeah. in the same vein, I guess. So this is a good politics of coaching moment for you. You say you don't know, and you say you don't know, and you say you don't know. And then when you need to say and you need to fake it, then you can go ahead and say something, whatever it is. And everybody will believe you because they usually go, well, if he doesn't know, he just tells us he doesn't know. And yeah, now exactly. he does know. Like, so, so that's a dark side quality. That's a dark side. There's a dark side book out there that's really good, too. But that's a dark <laughs> side quality, right? So you tell people you don't know when you actually don't know. But the time that you need to pull the trigger on, hey, I do know, but you don't really know, then you can pull the trigger on that and everybody will believe you. Gives you a little street I'm advocating that moral compass-wise, but that is a possibility that you could use. Well, sometimes you gotta sometimes you gotta answer positively, even if you don't know it's gonna go positive, because you need the outcome to be positive. You gotta have those kids believe it's gonna be positive, right? Like, the disaster movie example, right? We're all gonna be okay as the yeah. asteroid hit us, right? So you, or you jump in the huddle and you're like, "Here's what's gonna happen: We're gonna run these three plays. We're gonna score a touchdown. And we're gonna walk out of here a winner, right?" You got a yeah. clue that that's gonna happen, but you're selling it to those kids, and they've got buy-in that you've never lied to them before, so. Well, shit, this must be what's going to happen. So they go out there, they run those three plays, you score a touchdown, and you walk out of there a winner. Or you don't. Because sometimes you know. people don't remember it, right? Yeah. That's exactly what it says, think like a freak. Like, the, the, if, if it doesn't work out, people don't remember that much later anyways. But they do remember that you were honest all these times. And when you've got to use that bullet in your gun, you can use it. And then if it doesn't work... Mm, okay, people will forget about it, but if it does work, you're you're a legend, right? And that, but if you constantly lie to them, then, <laughs> they just remember that. You're like this dude's a liar. He told us we we're gonna score. That that kind of brings it back to what you said earlier, right? Tough people win, right? So so you went out, you went eight and two, you went eight and one the regular season, you went out, you 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 fired every bullet in that gun, and you you lost, and you came out of that season eight and two and you're unloading those uh, headsets and you're unloading the water and whatever else is on that bus. 
Sad you walk back, right? right? You walk back into the, to the locker room and there are the kids and they've said everything that you have instilled in them throughout that year, right? About loving each other, about caring for each other, about giving everything they've got. And, and, and that's it, right? So tough people win when the message that you've conveyed to them, whether you win on, the, on a Friday night, whether you win on the field, You've won, right? They've won. Everybody wins when that message has been oh yeah fulfilled. Absolutely. It, the, the, you know, we said that that sad moment. Like, I've got to share this with you guys because it's one of my favorite stories, right? About sad and tough people. I needed the tough people win. You know, I need I needed that as much as the kids did. Like, this is my low moment of my career, right? And so it just happened two years ago. So there's a low moment that led to another low moment. So, you know, I, I left the school because the fans and the stands made my wife and my baby kid cry during a game with what they were saying to me as I was walking off the field at halftime. And so my wife and I agreed we're going to go somewhere else. So we moved to Rose Hill. We don't actually move to Rose Hill. We moved to Derby, which is right next to it. And we can't sell our house and so we have to stay in an apartment, right? And so we are mired in... Um, what ends up being a one and eight season, but at the time was like oh and seven, and I've never went over in my life, and it was a struggle. And I love these kids; they they were so much better than what their record showed. But at a certain point, this is low moment. So any coaches out there, if you ever have a low moment, you feel you're low, you call me because I've been here. Here's where I was at: we just got throttled. I drive home to my apartment which is 900 square feet after having about a 4,000 square feet basement and thing, house in another town that we can't live in. Uh, I've moved on from my dream job. My in-laws are there to watch the game. We don't have enough rooms for them. So my wife is sleeping in the bed. My baby's sleeping in his bed. My wife's pregnant and we weren't ready for that yet. We didn't know that was going to happen. Um, and then my in-laws are sleeping in the front room slash kitchen slash laundry room. And I walk in after the game at 11 o'clock and I've got a bag of Wendy's. I usually eat something after the game because I haven't ate before. And I just kind of sit and think about the game and, and I'm beat down. And I don't want to wake anybody up. So I have, I'm eating my Wendy's sitting on the toilet, like, like, the toilet's down. Not like not pants down. But I'm sitting on a toilet, the door closed, eating a Wendy's cheeseburger at midnight after a loss. And just as I'm chewing every greasy, disgusting bite, going, Oh my God, is this the lowest point of my career? Like I'm like I'm stuck in this bathroom. Like, I can't, my wife luckily texts me and she's like, she knows I got my phone on me. She's like, you can come out here and eat. You don't have to eat in the bathroom. But I mean, I'm the dude, I've ate a cheeseburger feeling bad about myself. And that was maybe a turning point for me. I'm like, dude, you got to step it up. Like, you got, you're better than this. Like, you've got to turn this around. Like, no more freaking eating cheeseburgers in your bathroom. Like, and so it, it's turned around. And it took time and I wasn't, that was just a low moment for me. Maybe not like a low, like, but I always point back to that. Like when people think they got it bad, like I've been there, 
I can tell you what it's like. It, it takes resilience, it takes toughness, and it's not always going to be easy. There's going to be a lot more valleys than mountains sometimes. So savor, savor it when it's good, I guess, is another great example. And, and fundamentally, that's, that's the lesson that we want our kids to take away from this, right? Like, we can win all the games on the field, on the track, meet, whatever. But if we can grind through that, that low moment of, of, of a loss where we're sitting on the toilet and eating our Wendy's, and you know, uh, right? if, yeah. if that's, I, I remember my first few years as a coach, right? Like I was, I was miserable until Thursday of the next week. Like I, you know, so if, if, if we can understand that it's, it's about something bigger, it's about being resilient, it's about, doing something for a community or a, 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 a team, a program, a family. Uh, I think, I think, you know, obviously we're all on the same page when it comes to that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those things. We all have uh, different ways to cope and so, and the way we deal with things. That's, it's really, you know, I, I sit here and wonder like, as we get older, do we get smarter or we get more numb? Like, it's easier for me to let it go now, right? Like, I don't live and die with every game anymore. Like, I don't think it, I don't think it's either of those, Lee. I think we just gain perspective, right? Like, yeah, the more, years, the more tread you got, or the less tread you got on a tire, the more you realize that Friday night really wasn't that big of a deal. It hurt when it happened, but when, when the loss happened and it felt great when the one happened, but, like, you walk home and you got two little babies there, and, and that's perspective. Right, like you got two kids that they, they 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 don't care if dad won or lost in the grand scheme of things. Coach, right? coach dad. They just let's, want the, let's, yeah, let's coach get dad. it straight, coach dad. But they just they want the hugs, right? They want the attention, they want the time. So yeah, they'll they'll say, hey, sorry you lost, whatever. But they, they they in the grand scheme of things, they don't give a rat's ass. They want dad, right? Perspective is a great way to say that, and that's kind of maybe more what I meant. But I mean. But still, I mean, I guess, and I'm barren soul here, is you sit back and you think when it doesn't hurt as much to lose or feel as great to win, are you losing? Are you losing it yourself? Are you losing a little bit of yourself? And I've come to terms with, I'm not losing a little bit of myself. My life just has more in it than this one singular focus. And I, I always say this, and you got hope the guy never listened to it. I would not want to be Bill Belichick or Nick Saban because I feel like they might be some of the most miserable guys of all time because they can't enjoy it. Because if they win it, it's only a relief. Like, are they truly that ecstatic? Because the next day they're off recruiting or thinking about the next thing. I think Belichick might be better at it than Saban. But, you know, you hear all the stories about Nick Saban. Like, you know, he's so hyper-focused on winning and being the best, and he is the best at it, probably. But does he even enjoy it anymore? And like, so I look at myself, I, this is a very small scale, high, small high school football coach. Like, yeah, I could probably do emulate what he's doing and be that miserable. But do I want to be that miserable to be successful? And I guess in my own life, like I've decided like, okay, I can let go of it a little bit and I can still have this in my life, but it does not have to drive my life because when I'm done with this, like at some point I'll retire, I can't have that huge void. Because what will I fill it with? There'll be nothing that'll fill it. So you gotta let go of it a little bit. And I've struggled with that myself is, do I, do, do I care less? 
No, but I have more perspective, I guess, to use your phrase, Jess. I have more perspective than I had before. And I think to bring it back to your coach uh, in college, right? He loved us. He loved you. He loved your guys. And however long it takes us all to get there, and, and I was right there with you. I read Season of Life. I, I did all these things. I had great people around me, but it took me, you know, 10 years of being a, a high school coach to be able to say to guys, I love you guys. I care about you. I, I, I'm really genuinely concerned for your well-being. Uh, I think that's it, right? You're, 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 you're coaching them up. And if you win on Friday night, that's awesome. And, and listen, I'm as competitive as they come. But if you don't win on Friday night, 10 years down the road, 10, 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, are those guys going to look back at you and say, hey, Coach Weber loved this. And, yeah, we lost on that uh, two-point conversion. Or we, or we got our doors blown off. But you know what? Coach Weber and, and, and those guys, they love this up. And that's, I don't know, that's, 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 that's where I'm, I'm getting as we progress through this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let me, as, as somebody who's who's had that kind of internal struggle, would you say, like, it was hard to say it at first and actually mean it, right? thousand percent. Like, you said, to tell your kids you love them and actually be genuine about it, like, I knew it was the right thing, I but I struggled with being able to do it genuinely. Like, I now I understand it more, and I do. But at first, I didn't understand it. Like, I was like, okay, I know I need to be telling these kids I love them. Like, but I don't know how to do that. I read the book and then it took me four years before I could even try. Oh yeah, I can see, yeah, I feel you. Cause that's, that's the way I, I struggle with it now. Like, and I, here's where I struggle. Like the whole love languages thing. Like I'm a words of affirmation person mm -hmm. and I'm a touch person, right? Like that's what I, like I will put my arm around kids. I'm a weird dude. Like I will put my arm around people. I will shake their hands. I will do that, but do not touch me. <laughs> like, like, like I do it to people, but I don't like it being done to me. And it's the same way. Like I can tell the kids now I love them, but it's still weird for them to tell me they love me. Like it'll be like, love you coach. And I'm just like, yeah, I still, it's a weird, like, is it real? Is so it, here's, are, they really, are they really saying that or are they just saying it because I said it? And, and so that's, yeah. Here's what I've done. I've got a bunch of high school girlfriends. <laughs> Does she mean it? Does he mean it? I need to mean it. <laughs> you all right, Joseph? Are you having a moment? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. I, uh, the one thing I did is I went, because I, tr I tried this and, and it was it was one of those like weird kind of deals. I went to the Webster's Dictionary and it was like genuine care and concern for the well-being of another and I I like plastered that all over I was like guys I love you I don't love you in the romantical sense I love you in the genuine care and concern for the well-being of another here it is it's from Webster's Dictionary and that's that's how I got over the hump in, in, in sharing that kind of language with my kids I love you guys I have genuine care and concern with for you. And that's that's what's worked for me. And take it or leave it, right? It gets easier as they understand it more. 
right? Once the kids, yeah, once your older kids are used to it and they kind of, you know, they tell each other, you know, hey, like, coach actually kind of likes us. And so that you don't have to have that awkwardness. You still do have that awkwardness with some kids, but, and you know what? If we do anything, there's a couple of those kids, that's all they need. Like, I have one now. Like, he, his, I think, dad committed suicide, mom's in jail, lives with great grandma, you know, like, he, he needed for me to tell him I loved him every once in a while. And, you know, when it came down to this whole thing, like he wasn't doing his work in his classes, one text message from me, because a chemistry teacher, principal, everybody talked to him. One text from me and said, Chandler, you need to do four assignments to graduate from high school in chemistry class. Can you do that? The next hour, the chemistry teacher sent me a message said, I know that you did this. I just got all four assignments from him. Thank you. I don't know what you said, but I'm pretty sure it was you because nobody else could reach him. And so I had that relationship with him because I told him I loved him. I was able to help him finish something that he should have finished, like everybody knows. But I was the only person that could reach him because I had invested in him long before. You know, nobody else had invested in him. I'd, I'd invested. My it's yeah. Coaching is so much like the investment world, right? If I invest early, you know. I can double down that investment later. But now I've invested in him even more. And someday I might need something from him. And uh, I, but my payoff doesn't have to be directly getting something from him. But I mean, my payoff will see him, him, him you know, have a good life. Like, uh, yeah. here's, here's a great example of payoff. One of my assistant coaches during this whole thing went to Kansas City to, vi- to deliver an Easter basket to his grandkids. And he came driving back, or he got halfway, and his, his uh, girlfriend's, He's an older guy, so um, widower who has an older girlfriend who has like a Benz, Mercedes Benz, like it broke down, right? Like we, I wish we all had girlfriends with Mercedes Benz, right? Or wives with Mercedes Benz, right? So, um, but it broke down and the tow truck driver picked him up and he texts me after and he goes, hey coach, I wanted to tell you. He goes, we got this tow truck driver and he goes, I like to talk to people. And he goes, I'm talking to Scott. He finds out I'm a football coach at Friends University and we're talking about it and he's like oh I played for this great coach he really you know he didn't give up on me and even though I wasn't very good and that was me I was his coach the tow truck driver he said he and that kid talked for two hours most of it about how I had changed his life and now he had a little baby and uh, he was married and so me investing in Greg Miranda seven or eight years ago has paid off now that he is a productive citizen and that's, I mean, Joseph, I'm going to, I'm going to close this up unless you, you have something else to say, but that's it, man. You fucking nailed it, right? It's Greg Miranda. I don't know. Did I say that right? Greg Miranda. Yep. Greg Miranda is, is, is a husband. He's a father. He's a, a productive member of society. Helps he, other people, right? He, yeah. He, he, he's a selfless servant. And it's because you helped him along the way. And, and that's, that's where we are. That's what we're doing. And uh, I couldn't be happier to, to, to have been a part of this conversation. And I love, love everything that you're saying. And I think we could probably talk for another seven hours about uh, your key oh, yeah. statements. And- you would have to rope us in. You, I've noticed your role here, Eddie's been roping us, but real and Joseph and I, I back in like, let's come back to the center. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm only here. To I tell appreciate. Stories. I'm only here to tell stories, Lee. Andy's the uh, 
the, the brains of this operation. As you probably if think that is, well if that is the case, we are we are we are struggling. But yeah, no, no, and, and but ultimately, like all of us as coaches have all of these really powerful things that we want to share and we want to give to the world. And, and yeah, I'm just trying to I'm trying to lasso those things down so we can kind of uh, share them out with the world. But it's uh, the thing for me that's really cool. And Joseph, obviously, uh, you and Joseph have this relationship going back uh, is to know that that so many of us whether we're in New York or we're in Indiana or we're in Kansas or we're down South or out West, we're speaking the same language and, and there's, there's more of us out there. And that's, that's, that's pretty awesome. So thanks, man. Hey, uh, thanks for letting me just, I, I feel like I'm all over the place most times. So thanks for just letting me get all those thoughts out. Like it's good. Like I did not expect to cry, man. That, who gets on? <laughs> I didn't you know, I expect to tear up, man. And that opening that book up, I was just like, it just started coming. I was like, man. So, it's, you know, it's just like uh, Jimmy Valvano said, we had a great day, right? We laughed, we cried, you know, we lived. So, you know, in, in one span of one podcast, we did all Jimmy, of it. Jimmy V's a New York guy. So, you know, he's an, and an Italian. So we, we got it all. Hey, man, thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this, man. It was really good. I really no appreciate problem. it. We should, probably, yeah, we should probably catch up more often, not just on a, the occasional Zoom call during a uh, – Na uh, international pandemic. pandemic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like we're we're gonna come visit you sometime. Hey, doors always open. You know that. Oh, I know. Yeah, and you know what? I'm gonna tell you. I've been this entire time. I've been jealous of that shirt. Like your 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 army shirt with the cross sabers. Like that that fits my. Yes, absolutely. Beat Navy. What, uh, what size are you? He's not, even, he's not even wearing pants. <laughs> I don't wear pants anymore. I don't have to. It's COVID. <laughs> That's right. We're a pantsless society now. <laughs> What uh, what size are you? Uh, three X, brother. I'll see if there's any in the uh, in the in the. I'll ask Christine to see if there's any three Xs in the closet at work. You're my man. I appreciate it, man. I'll do my best. All right, fellas. Okay, Have man. Have a great night. Thank you so man. much. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> hey, great my best to meet you the family, man. Tell them I said hello. I will. I will. Thank you. Thanks for huddling up with us this week on the Coaches Platform Podcast. Remember, you can find us at Coaches Platform on Twitter and Instagram. Contact us at thecoachesplatform at gmail.com. And please remember to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you happen to find your podcasts.